Brand are experts in agriculture, covering your equipment, parts and service needs to help you succeed in your field. From behind the stumps to behind the mic, nothing gets past Smithy. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Morena, New Zealand, good morning to you on this uh, Wednesday morning. Uh, it's, uh, I guess, what some people call hump day. Um, that, of course, was uh, when you reach the halfway point in the working week and uh, you go down the slope on the other side towards uh, a Friday. So, uh, yes, it's hump day, and uh, hump day today is brought to you by Brant, your local John Deere equipment supplier. Of course, uh, if you like the, the green and the yellow, that's the John Deere. There's only one place to go, and that's your local Brant outlet, and we thank them for their support. Uh, at uh, I don't know, about five minutes' time, we'll speak to the man, the promoter extraordinaire. Anything that's going on in the world, particularly when it comes to boxing, he's all over. It's Dean Lonergan, great friend of the show. So uh, Fight for Life's on. It's not too far away, folks. In fact, it's tomorrow week. Tomorrow week at Event Fighter Stadium. So uh, let's let's find out a wee bit more about it. Ticket sales, opportunities, etc. And, of course, all of the matchups. 9.30 this morning, we're going to talk to Todd Morton. Who does Todd Morton? Well, he's got the Easy Swim Swim School, um, and uh, he's concerned. He's very concerned about kids not learning to swim. Uh, so am I. Uh, so you might hear that very shortly. So we're going to be talking to uh, Todd Morton. After uh, 10 o'clock, uh, Major League Baseball has uh, made a big change to their program this year, or their format. They've got a shot clock. Uh, in terms of uh, a pitching timing thing, in terms of uh, speeding the game up. Uh, they drag on a bit, Major League Baseball games, they can do. Uh, so we've got uh, that, that clock that uh, is putting it on the pitches to get on with the damn job. Uh, Jamie Wall and Andrew Gordy, uh, very strong panel this morning. We've got about 10, 20, a number of issues there. After 11 o'clock, well, we got a text just to say, what about uh, taking uh, some time out to spend some time working on uh, finding out about the, the Under-23 Softball World Cup, which is currently going on in Argentina? We're going to do that straight after 11 o'clock this morning. Louis jacked up uh, uh, an interview subject there, so we'll get to an update. They're actually playing this morning uh, while we speak, so uh, we'll keep up the, an unbeaten, uh, unbeaten. They're called the Major Sox. The major socks, our under-23 team. Uh, so we shall be talking to someone from there. And also, uh, about quarter to 12 this morning, uh, being, of course, a Wednesday, it's Rural Roundup Day. We'll catch up with Andy Thompson. Sport is our religion. And here is Smithy Sermon. Well, here's a question. Well, actually, quite a few, in all seriousness. Can you swim? Can you swim far enough or have the water skills to save yourself if the need arises and God willing it won't. Could you save one of your children or one of your siblings if they were in trouble? I learned to swim classes up there with rugby, cricket and basketball practices. I would seriously doubt it. And in some areas, numbers are reflecting this. It's not just a priority. It seems it could be. It's just not in fashion anymore. If it's either that it's a massive issue for a nation surrounded by water, uh, we've got to look at it. Possessing some sort of, uh, some of the most beautiful beaches around Yet, they can be lethal, and we know that. Figures say that. Leave it up to the men and women in red and yellow with those nifty little dinghies and paddle boards. They'll handle it. It's their job, after all, isn't it? We're not talking Daniel Loaders here, Lewis Clairbuitz, or even Erica Fairweathers. Although, that's where it all starts. Quite frankly, water schools and the education of such are becoming less and less a priority and more a background bonus if you find time in your busy schedules. My memory serves me right back in the day when TV was only in black and white, so was the policy. 
swimming at schools was compulsory like a subject you had to take part and from that you learned the basics at least took a very convincing note from mum and dad to get you out of it more and more schools and teachers are finding it harder to maintain pools no budgets and finding less time to supervise and educate in their busy schedules it's a major issue and one we will be looking at later in the morning in these days of options and technology where are the priorities where are yours for your kids and your grandies has been a staple on the New Zealand sporting calendar for a very long time and Fight for Life is back again uh, next Thursday and it's next evolution with a class edge around at this time. For years we've seen some of our favourite footy players, broadcasters hell even cricketers lace them up and have a rumble all in the name of charity and while it's true again this year with Liam Messam, Justin Hodges DJ Forms, Sione Falmawina all on the hook, there's far more than that. Our next generation of boxing stars will be on show as well. Fronted by New Zealand's own Mia Motu, who is taking on a Canada, Canadian Tanya Walters in her first World Cup tilt. This is for the IBO Super Bantamweight World Title fight. It's up for grabs, and it turns next Thursday night into a much-watch sporting event. You have to anyway, because Dean Lonegren is the promoter, and it'll be a lot of fun, and he joins us this morning. Uh, Dino, good morning to you. Thanks for finding some time for us, mate. Always got time for you, Smitty, and I tell you what, if you carry on like that in the future, I'm going to have to employ you as my PR guy. You just nailed the intro perfectly. <laughs> well, the main thing is, Dino, we got the man on to talk about it, and that is you, because no one promotes it uh, like you have ever done. And uh, for this particular uh, event, with a world title on the line, uh, Dino, this has got to be one of the most exciting you've done. Look, it really is, Smithy. We've got a whole lot of stuff going on. We've got the celebrity fights in there, as you talked about, and this year it's a, it's a traditional league versus union. And, mate, there's a whole lot of guys in there who I know could really fight. So from a fight perspective, you're going to see a whole lot of uh, really good boxing. But you've also got some up-and-comers. You've got um, Andre Mikhailovich, who's number five. He's a middleweight. He's a, a Russian-born orphan who came to New Zealand in the, uh, in the 90s. He's a middleweight, he's number five with the IBF, and if he wins this fight against a 16-0 Edison Soltran next week, mate, he's got one more fight to go to to get to a world title, so I'm very excited about that. Then, of course, we've got Jerome Pamplone versus Moscow Atanga. Jerome's number eight in the world in the IBF, a light heavyweight, and he's two fights away from a world title. And what I can see happening is if uh, those two boys win these fights, we'll be heading to Germany. Uh, maybe in June to, uh, to to get them closer to where they need to be. And then, of course, we've got a very own uh, Mia Motu. There's a mate feature on her on the Sunday program on Sunday night. Uh, Mia's had a very uh, hard up. Her nickname's The Nightmare, not because that's what she is in the ring, but because of the life she's had to lead to get to where she is. But she's in a really good space now. She absolutely loves boxing. And all of these boxers come out of the Peach Boxing Gym out in Wild West Auckland by uh, Isaac Pitts. So, mate, this is a, that, that's an enclave of not only West Auckland, but global excellence in boxing. And uh, I can't wait for next week just to see how far not only our uh, real boxers go, but also how good the boxing card is with the celebs. 
Uh, what, what I like about uh, those matchups you've just talked about, Dino, particularly um, Mikhailovich and, of course, uh, Pam Malone, they're two opponents, and between them, none of them have lost a fight. So uh, one of them in each of those bouts is going to have a, a horrible feeling that they've never had before. Mate, it's fair to say, Smithy, you're dead right there, my old mate. And particularly, a guy like Peeps tells me that Jerome Pampalone is the best boxer he's got in his gym. Now, that's quite a statement when only a month ago, one of his boxers, Dave Light, uh, fought for the WBO World Cruiserweight title up in the UK. You've got Mia Mothu fighting for a world title this time around, and Andre Mikhailovich, who's unbeaten, I think he's on 19-0. and 0, You know, and uh, Jerome, I think, is on 15-0. and 0. So it's fair to say... The level of boxing excellence coming out of the peak gym is astounding. And, uh, mate, I can't wait going forward, of course. And I have to get in there, Smitty, because I know you'll let me do this. The whole thing is brought to you by Burger King in association with Build People. We've got Culture Kings as a sponsor, and we do the charity part for Mike Kings. I am hope. You keep promoting and using those sponsors, Dino. We're never going to say no to them. So, yeah, you just mention them as many times as you like. I'm so excited for Miyamoto because it's not very often we have genuine a genuine world title fight on our shores, man. This is huge. Smitty, would you believe this? We have only had four New Zealand boxers win a world title over the course of the last hundred or so years. The first one was a guy called Billy uh, Torpedo. Murphy, I think it was, and that was back in the 1880s. Then, of course, we had Joe Parker. We've had Daniela Smith, who was in the... And we've also had Sugar Neese, uh, Shanika Johnson. Only four in 110 years of boxing to win major world titles. So it's fair to say Miyamoto's got a massive opportunity to add herself into the pantheon of uh, greatness of New Zealand boxers. And, mate, I cannot wait for her to fly her stuff. And i tell you what, Smithy, she's someone that I think we're going to fight at home on a regular basis. And now, I, I think we've seen in the last couple of years the emergence of women's sport and the way that uh, the women in traditional male domains are doing so much better than what they were, but not only that, they've put on interesting and, and really exciting spectacles. We've seen it in rugby league, we've seen it in rugby union. Certainly from a boxing point of view, these girls or women can really fight. So uh, it's an exciting time in New Zealand boxing history, I can tell you that. Well, uh, I can tell you, uh, Dino, late last week we had Liam Messam on the show and uh, Liam is very, very... We wanted to talk a bit of rugby with him. He was mainly mainly focused on the fight and that's really what he wanted to talk about. Uh, up against Justin Hodges um, and uh, whilst um, there is a bit of the celebrity about this, I don't sense it with these matchups. Well, with those two, Smitty, it's quite interesting because Justin Hodges, I think, has had something like seven or eight fights. Liam's got five or six fights under his belt at the moment. Both of those guys have fought Paul Gallen, and uh, Liam Messam wants to, at some stage, fight for the New Zealand heavyweight title. He's really found a niche uh, after his rugby and boxing. He absolutely loves it, and, of course, the warrior spirit comes out of him. I think he's had something like 41 all-black tests. He only just finished playing for the Chiefs last year. So his level of fitness will be through the roof as well. Uh, Tell you one to watch out for, Smithy, is DJ Forbes, an absolute legend of the uh, the Seventh Circuit, one of the fittest men probably to ever uh, grace the field for New Zealand rugby. But DJ's in a whole new world when it comes to uh, when it comes to boxing, and uh, he is, from what I can understand, while he's an incredibly competitive man, he's not an overly aggressive man or an aggressive sportsman. He's up against Yanni Famalina, who I can promise you is extremely aggressive and in great form, great fitness. So uh, man, I'm going to find that quite a fascinating myself because you've got two guys from totally different backgrounds and, uh, and, and totally different mindsets. And what I didn't know, Smitty, 
is that DJ Forbes is a good West Auckland boy and actually played rugby league as a young man for Glenora. Well, that just adds to his character, Dino, doesn't it? Uh, we all know that. It sure does. And I've got a question for you, Smithy. Are you doing much commentary at the moment in, uh, in, in cricket? Because you're not on Sky anymore, are you? No, Dino, I'm not uh, doing uh, any commentary at all in New Zealand. So um, every now and then I pop across to Australia and do a little bit, or I might even pop across to India later in the year and do a World Cup. But you know, man, I'm on the pension now. I mean, I, you know, it's, I, I can hardly, I can hardly walk to the pub. And I, and I know that would be that would really break you, really, because you do like a pair or two. But I've got to say this to you, old mate. Like, uh, it's fair to say, you and I had our moments on air, but I, I can't tell you how much I appreciated just how good a commentator you are when I've watched a number of New Zealand Test matches or 2020s, and uh, some, of the, some of the commentary you brought to the table is outstanding. I've got to say, I think we're pinching off our real great talents too early in this country. And it was only just recently the 75-year-old or 76-year-old Ray Warren retired, not yeah. because the networks told him to in Australia, but because he wanted to. And I've got to say, Smith, if I was running any one of the networks, mate, I'd still have you on there because I think you're an absolutely quality commentator. And uh, it's a real shame we don't get to hear your voices anymore. I'm not a huge fan of cricket, I've got to say. Uh, listening to you certainly for the game to life. <laughs> hey mate, uh, look, uh, thank you very much, folks. He has not. I have not paid him anything for that. So uh, that is absolutely <laughs> fantastic. You know, I appreciate those words. Hey, before we before we get on to another couple of issues, we've got to talk about uh, Sammy Tuitupo and uh, Roy Asatasi as well. Well, we got Sam Tuitupo on board after the recommendation of Ali Williams. He said, Dino, you've got to get Sammy on board, slamming Sammy, because he is one of the hardest hitters of all time in rugby union. So I did a bit of background on Sammy. Graham Henry, we did, we did a bit of a you know, social media bit with Graham Henry, Liam Messam and Mills Milioina, and they all come out and said Sam was by far and away the biggest hitter, absolutely mad as a cut snake and not scared of a scrap. So it's fair to say that we were very keen to bring Sam back all the way from the UK, of all things. And he's up against former Kiwi captain Roy Atatazi. And I can tell you this, Roy played for South Sydney uh, most of his career, an unbelievably tough man, in amazing shape because he owns a gym now over in Sydney. And uh, Roy's built like a the proverbial brick shithouse. And it's fair to say he was never scared of going forward. So uh, Sammy versus Roy Asatazi will be, I think, one of the absolute fights of the night in what is an absolutely massive card of, uh, of boxing, of rugby league, of celebrity, and, of course, people going, uh, going places for world titles. So we've had... This is probably, Smitty, the, the highest quality card we've ever put together, and I've got no doubt that these guys are going to come out in front of the, you know, the thousands of people who are there and, the, and the, a lot of people watching on TV... And they'll be throwing down leather at a furious rate of knots because when you get into a place you're not used to, where you either get hit or you're, you're doing the hitting, it's fair to say it's no fun getting the hitting. And of course, you have to put up with this in your reputation for the next three, four, or five years, or even for life. So uh, it's fair to say they come out and they have a crack. Right. Let's uh, talk about uh, the charities involved. You know, we always like to give them uh, a plug. Well, mate, we've got uh, Mike King's been a long-term friend of mine, and of course he runs an amazing thing called uh, I Am Hope, which helps out with the uh, mental health of all New Zealanders, and particularly young New Zealanders. And Mike's done something truly incredible. I think his organisation now is turning over upwards of, I think, don't, don't hold me to this, but I think $9 million a year, and they're spending that on, uh, the majority of that on young people getting counselling sessions up and down the country 
to talk about their problems and their issues and their health or their mental health. These are things, Smithy, when we were young men, we never sort of had the availability of this in particular. And I think it saves a lot of people a lot of mental anguish and it, and it gets them on the right path in life. So, uh, you know, Mike makes his money uh, on this event. Burger King's doing uh, some in-store promotions uh, to raise money for him. We also have charity auctions on the night. And if we can get Mike a six-figure amount, well, I'll be very, very happy. Of course, Mike, I think he's doing a mad challenge at the moment with Ian mm. Jones and Rick Wells. And I think they're swimming and they're biking and they're doing all sorts of things up and down the country. So, mate, uh, Mike's doing God's work and we're more than happy to help out. Yeah, he's been doing some great work too down in Napier uh, after the uh, cyclone ripped through here. He came down to help out uh, the, the mental side of a lot of people who have got very little to look forward to in their future at the moment, giving them some hope. So beautifully named uh, charity as such. Uh, Dino, um, also, uh, how do we get involved? Can we still get involved if I, you know, I want to go along? Is there corporate anything available? Yep, you just go to uh, just go to fightforlife.co.nz and uh, and jump on there. And there are all the ways to be involved. You can certainly do, Smitty. If you're, uh, I'm sure you you broadcast nowadays from Napier, but if you're up, I'd love to bring you along to the gig itself and probably stick your ringside. The corporate table's still available. Uh, GA tickets still available. Of course, we're on Sky pay per view on Thursday night. So just go to fightforlife.co.nz or just bang that into the Google search and mate, you'll uh, you'll find out where to go. When people found out that you were coming on, uh, Dino, um, we got a text to say, Justice Hooney, Justice Hooney, um, and um, your negotiations there, have they been fun? I tell you what, Justice Hooney, I think, is more than capable of winning the World Heavyweight title. He's probably one of the single most skilled boxers I've seen in my entire life, and of course he fights at heavyweight. I had Justice Hooney signed to a three-year deal um, for uh, with a three-year rollover, but unfortunately, Smithy, I lost my contract over in uh, Fox Sport in Australia. Hence, I'm back here in New Zealand doing a lot of work. And uh, Justice had a clause in his contract that if I lost it, he could go elsewhere. Justice has signed up with one of the world's biggest promoters in Eddie Hearn. And I do believe his next fight's going to be in Dubai. But watch out for the name of Justice Hooney. Incredible fighter. Great movement for a heavyweight and uh, unfortunately, I'm not part of his future in the short term. I'd certainly like to think one day we could get back involved again. But made a, a hell of a nice kid and uh, trained by his father, who's unbelievably good at what he does. And uh, mate, I certainly hope that Suni does well in the future. And I think he will because, mate, he's incredibly talented. Listen, uh, I've known you quite a while and um, I've watched you... Um, <clears throat> what's the word I'm going to say here? Um, educate and bring up um, your son, who now I think is... Um, we've had him on the show, and he sounds... Jesus, does he sound like a chip off the old block? Um, how's Liam going? <laughs> Mate, he's going well. We're working together closely. Uh, we've been working together pretty much since he left school. And uh, he's, he's learning all about the, the game of um, promoting boxing. One thing about Liam, he has a magnificent understanding of the sport, and he, he understands the macro part of the business. And there are many, many times after, over the last two or three years I should, have listened, I should have asked for his guidance and listened to him very closely because he fully gets this. And I've, I hate to say this, but I've made a lot of mistakes and had I listened to Liam a lot closer, I would have made a lot less mistakes. I can promise you that. And just finally, women of New Zealand uh, texting in saying, what's your situation? <laughs> Rough head, fat guts, but would love to find myself a sort. <laughs> brilliant, absolutely brilliant, Dino. Uh, that's 
That's gold. Hey, mate, have a terrific night next uh, Thursday. If I've, if I've got the chance of getting to Auckland, my friend, uh, I'll make contact with you. But uh, at this stage, probably not. But I'll be watching, and I'm, I'm looking forward to uh, uh, another very successful event. Great talking to you, mate. Uh, stay, stay safe and well. Always a pleasure, Smitty. Thanks, brother. Cheers, Dean Lonergan there. Oh, God, 9.22. Some things in life do not change. 9.22 here on SENZ. Boy, do we have some exciting news coming up for you on this show this morning in terms of leather on willow. That's my clue. Leather on willow. It's 9.23 now. Uh, morning, Smithy. Can we watch Fight for Life uh, on... Where can we watch it? Well, it's a, it's a Sky product, Steve. Uh, so it'll be a pay-per-view product, uh, Sky Go, that kind of thing. Uh, explore it with them, but uh, certainly it's uh, on Sky this time around. Rory's come up uh, with a nice concept. Fight for life, can we get Scott Styrus and Mitchell Johnson in the ring? Ah, that takes us back to a good old headbutt at McLean Park in Napier. Wasn't that cool? Um, and, uh, yeah, that would be uh, that would be interesting. I don't think the pig would be interesting. Uh, interested, to be fair. Uh, he's too uh, too careful about his good looks, so he, I don't think uh, Scott Storis would be in there. Um, but here's an that's an idea, Louie. Uh, text us in matchups, celebrity matchups you'd like to see. We can post them on to Dean Lonigan for Fight for Life next year. Celebrity matchups you'd quite like to see. Double eight, double three, Louie. Good morning to you. Um, busy show and a big announcement. We can only tease it at about eleven thirty this morning. Huge. Huge smithy in the scale of global sport and eyeballs doesn't get much bigger than this one. Um, across the the announcement, one A and one B. So looking forward to that at eleven thirty. Gee, matchups. Well, we've had some doozies throughout the years, haven't we? We've had some absolute doozies. Um, Jesse Ryder involved, um, of course. Brian Fletcher's sparring partner Stephen McIver was before involved in. Um, Verbal pugilism was involved in the actual ring himself. Uh, who else have we had and who else would be good? Well, there's some aggressive types across New Zealand sport. Um, mm. But I was I was really sold by the slams, the slam and Sammy Dewey Tupo call by Dean Lonergan. Yeah. He really flying him back to the, from the UK. Well, we've got to we've got to buy it. Oh, is there any slush fund? Have we got a slush fund for buying? Um, no, okay, fair enough. Also, it'll come out my own. Uh, you don't have um, your staff credit pocket, from Sky Sport, or no, 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 it's <laughs> long gone. <laughs> Very funny though. Um, no, um, well, yeah, I, I, I look forward to that. Double eight, double three. Give us a, a match up that you would like to see um, in terms, and a, a relatively serious one. I mean, or a relatively funny one. We'll read them all out. Double eight, double three. Is he in Beaver? Um, uh, well, uh, how do you say fight in French? I don't know. That's where they are. <laughs> um, south of France, really doing it tough. Oh, my God. What next? Uh, it is uh, 9.30. That's what's next here on SCNZ. Uh, and a very serious subject we're going to uh, approach uh, just after the 9.30 news. We're going to talk to Todd Martin. Um, and he is a man who's a little bit concerned about uh, swimming the children in this country and the direction it's heading and the support it's getting as well. So that's coming up after the news here with Aroha. 14.76am in Auckland. This is SENZ. It's Kiwi for Sport. Out And uh, the research that we've been doing over the last 24 hours, how big a problem to this, on the face of it, do you think it is? Uh, I think it's bigger than we realise. Um... The 
one of the, the biggest issues is we don't have a, a great way to measure it. There's no sort of tangible, uh, the programs we're doing at schools um, don't have sort of benchmarks of what we, got, what we can sort of measure that the kids are achieving. We don't do big swim tests anymore. Uh, a good focus on water safety, which has its place. But, um, yeah, I guess when we did those stats around swim clubs, it, <clears throat> it was worse than we thought. Um, and this isn't a COVID thing, you know, this was happening well before COVID. So, yeah, there's a problem. Right, okay, uh, let's uh, look at why. Um, now, we, we study a lot of sports across uh, the board here, as you would imagine, Todd, and we look at secondary school and school-level sports, and a lot of them are in decline because of uh, various reasons. Um, most of all, there's uh, a lot of other options for kids to do, basically, but is it the kids' thing or is it the parents' thing? Yeah, it's a, it's a great question. Um, I think you're right. There are other sports, definitely other sports for young boys, especially. Um, there's, you know, costs an issue for some people, access, pool availability, uh, where you live. Um, but I think there is a significant part of it is the parents are not prioritising it. And as I said, I think cost is definitely an issue for a number of people. But I think there's an, a, an equal sort of size group where... I think they can afford it, but perhaps they're just choosing to do other things with their time. I'm mm. not sure that everyone appreciates what you've got to do just to uh, get your kid to be water confident or water safe. You know, this can be three or four years of regular swimming to get them to be swim up to swimming 400 metres in a pool, you know, which should be a good under indicator that they could, they could swim a little bit in the surf, but... Ideally, we'd, we'd want kids swimming a, a kilometre in the pool and then we know they're going to be fitter, stronger, more likely to engage in swimming long term and then ultimately be more water safe. Todd, the ability to do this at a young age was always a priority and always a job, it seemed, or almost a responsibility of the schools. But those numbers I've just read out with pools closing down, etc., uh, teachers having other interests in life rather than school, sport, etc. Um, how do you fight that? Yeah, it's it's a real tough one because I think, on one hand, um, we've got a we can't be too harsh on the schools. They're often doing a lot with very limited resources. There's limited funding, especially for to keep your school pools. That's often passed from the ministry to the school and said, you know, if the schools want to spend their five five year sort of um, allocation of funding they get on the pools in grade or if they want to fundraise, well that's up to them. So that tends to make the decision for them. Um, and then I think there is a little bit of setting higher expectations on schools. So schools we work with in our area, there'll be some that regularly do swimming and regularly do swimming sports. It's just not a question. And then there's others that seem to choose not to. And that, that can come down to the attitude of the the leadership of that school and if we get changes and you know staff turnover they things can fall off so i think it's a bit of both it's a bit of resourcing and a bit of setting higher expectations along with giving them the support they need um and then i think we would see sort of better results in that area right let's look at um the socio-economic groups uh who tend to go to swimming and I'm guessing here I don't know and I could get shot down in flames here but I would think in the lower uh, socio-economic areas 
it's pretty tough to find funding and it's pretty t- tough on the whanau to get their kids along and that is an issue because they still go to the beach and they still get in trouble. Yeah, sure. It's, um, it is unfortunately one of those things in New Zealand where the, um, people with a bit more money get it, make it happen and uh, other areas it tends to happen less. Um, so outside of school, there's not I mean, there's some community swimming programs around that are cheaper, um, but of course they still cost money. So I think to make sure everyone in New Zealand learns to swim, we really need to make sure that those schools in those lower lower decile or lower socioeconomic areas perhaps have a little bit more support to do a bit more swimming. Most schools will do eight 30-minute lessons um, a year, and I would just hope that maybe those those schools in those areas we could find a way for them to do more than that. Because when we're at, when they're at school, we've got them all, and we can make sure they go. Uh, when they're at home, um, it's up to the parent. Which yeah, maybe sometimes it happens, sometimes it doesn't. Hey Todd, this might seem quite basic, but when you get these kids into your classes, are Kiwi kids still absolutely loving the pool? Like we think back to when we were doing it and it was actually an enjoyment. It was like club sport. It was like being around your friends. You were learning a craft. But the actual basis of it was it was a hell of a lot of fun. You know, but that was before we had we had Nintendos, but we didn't have TikTok, etc. to contend with. So do kids still enjoy yeah. swimming? Oh, yeah. And I think the experience is far better. Um, there's, you know, swimming programs have progressed. Um, it's no longer some old guy standing there with a stick uh, telling you to swim, you know, it's uh, more enjoyable, there's um, more water safety incorporated into most lessons, Uh, it's more, you know, life jackets, um, boating safety, that sort of thing. And Jen, we've got more and more school pools that are covered, um, more heated, Um, you know, kids at our pools swim in 32 degrees and they have no idea how good they've got it. <laughs> uh, Todd, there's an interesting one uh, as well, and there's uh, I know there's an ad that plays on TV where this uh, guy takes us uh, a young girl to uh, to swimming, and and um, uh, she improves her times, etc. And yet he can't swim, um, and it, oh. it, it, it sort of it hits home a wee bit because uh, I I think to myself here uh, if parents show the way, if if parents um, are, are unable to swim themselves. When is it too late? I mean, is it ever too late to try and and, and educate yourself about swimming? No, never too late. We we have a number of adult classes on, and they're, they're busy. You know, often uh, a lot of new Kiwis, if you know what I mean, uh, uh, immigrants coming over. They didn't get these opportunities back overseas. Um, and then we get parents of the children that we're teaching who realise that their children are starting to get better than them um, and they think they, they better book in. So, um, yeah, it's, it's never too late, never too late. Okay, uh, just finally, Todd, uh, we know you've got a, a great operation going uh, where you are. How do people get hold of you or do you have a capacity for more people now? Are you booked out? What, what's your situation? Our certain days have space. There's popular days, which are chocker with wait list. Um, but, uh, yeah, we're Easy Swim down here in Wellington. So just website, easyswim.co.nz. Yeah, we'd love to love to hear from people. Well, terrific uh, for you to find some time uh, out of your busy schedule to uh, educate us a wee bit more. I think we're on the same wavelength here. 
uh, it's a yep. problem and it's not going away. So, uh, Todd, uh, thanks for all your great work and uh, we hope something uh, comes out of what you're doing. Cheers for your time. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, cheers. Uh, Todd Morton there and, uh, of course, yes, uh, Easy Swim down there in Wellington with uh, the very good facilities that, that they have. There is no excuse. I mean, if there's nothing available in your area, uh, you either got to make a, a, a real big effort to go or, you know, you just um, somehow, uh, Louie, you've got, you've got to find a way to do it. I mean, um, you'll be a parent shortly um, at some point and, and, you know, you've got to... I, I just wonder where it's disappeared. I, I look back at um, when I think life changed in this country in terms of some sports and that, and I think seven-day-a-week trading uh, started a lot of it. When parents mm-hmm, didn't mm-hmm. have time anymore, they just had to go and work. They didn't have time uh, for kids' activities. Uh, and swimming now falls into that. Yes, I hear you. The other thing is these things, these little um, viruses we hold and we carry around in our pocket daily. Like, I, I mean, I'm, I'm a millennial smithy, um, as, it, as are your kids, and, and like that just completely changed what time priority looked like, and, and that is for the worse. Uh, growing up, I'm from Leithfield Beach. Leithfield, so I swam at a, so I had a beach and a rough beach. So if you didn't learn to swim, there was just no hope for you. You had to learn to swim, and luckily Leithfield School fundraised every year and kept their school pool in commission. Not heated, by the way. 32 degrees, are you kidding me? We're lucky for 12 degrees. So, um, mm. look, I understand how important it is being a country kid, and I think a lot of the region and rural New Zealanders probably understand that because the dangers, while they have been more real for longer, I don't know whose priority it is, though. I kind of sense by your question line, you're you're wondering whether the parents need to step up? Look, uh, at the end of the day, if there's um, injury or there's a problem or whatever, um, yes, it is. It's a parent's responsibility. It is. uh, The the safety of, of your children is, is your responsibility. You take them to school, etc. when they're supervised in their activities. But outside of that, um, you know, then you take them to the beach. Um, you have a beach holiday or whatever. Those that go regularly, I would imagine, um, who go to the beach for, for their annual holidays, uh, most of their children would know how to swim because that's the thing they do. Um, then there's those one-off visits to the beach, you know, the first time to the beach people having fun let's go and have some fun Uh oh you get caught in something that's a little bit more powerful you got nothing to do with it and if you're very lucky there'll be lifeguards uh, on duty and if you're not that lucky you got issues it's as simple as that and uh, and what uh, you know uh, what he was saying there uh todd was just saying look he's thinking that he wants his kids the ones he's teaching to swim a kilometer now a kilometer is a long way you know if you can swim but the strength to do that might be enough to save you having to swim 60 or 70 metres out of trouble. That's the situation. 9.45 here on SENZ. Back in the day in Palmy North, I remember being at Fitzuba Park watching the Pakistanis take on my central districts. And if I had SENZ back then, I would have listened on 8.28am. We've got a lineup at SENZ that would terrify any NRL defence. Izzy, Kempe, Kirst, Beaver, Staffy, Clado, Smithy. Nope, no thank you. Brand are experts in agriculture, covering your equipment, parts and service needs to help you succeed in your field. Summer or winter, he's the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. You got to know when to hold them. Know when to fold them. Smithy's multi. Know when to walk away. And know when to run. Bet live on your favourite sports. Download the TAB app today. 
Rightio, uh, yesterday uh, I made a commitment. I said if I get uh, done, uh, Louis's going to come up with one today. I got done. The Splash Brothers uh, let me down. Um, they just weren't good enough. Um, Curry was awful, to be perfectly honest. Clay Thompson wasn't much better. So uh, they went down to the Sacramento Kings, and now Golden State are in trouble. They are in big trouble. Uh, so today I'm going to offer up one and then hand it over to Louis. I'm going to stay with basketball. I'm going to go the Cavs, the Cleveland Cavaliers, to beat the New York Knicks at a dollar forty-five. Over to you, sir. Well, Smithy, I'd feel hard done by if we didn't get these two short price favourites up at Matamata today. It's a soft five, and these two horses have been, well, crying on the door, knocking on the door, crying out to win a race. Savacat ran in the Oaks, Savabil Philly for Team Rogerson, race number four, $1.80 in from two bucks, and in race number five, we don't have to wait long, huzzah, Stephen Ortridge. This horse was an absolute certainty beat last start. It was knocked around in the straight. If it had clear air, it would have won. The only horse I was worried about here was this beautifully bred fast net rock called Hattrick for Tony Pike. That's been scratched, so we copped the deduction. It's a dollar eighty, a dollar eighty, a dollar eighty. I've got the calves at a dollar thirty nine, but that gets us four dollars fifty, and you wouldn't quibble at that on a Wednesday. You would not. We'll take that any day of the week. Go. We'll take a break. When we come back, uh, we've got a few texts to read out, which is uh, very interesting. Uh, Nine fifty two. The racing game never sleeps, and I'm not sure Clayto or Stico do either. The good oil, Saturdays from one, punting the afternoon away. Uh, Steve Gardner is everything baseball, as well as uh, a reporter with USA Today. He's covered 18, yes, 18 World Series. Uh, a member of the Baseball Writers Association of America. He's been a Hall of Fame voter since uh, 2021. So he's the perfect person to get the pulse of the baseball nation from. Steve, good morning to you, and thank you for your time. Good morning. Thanks for having me. Now, can you talk us uh, a wee bit about the pitch clock? And uh, as a, a, a student of baseball uh, over a long period of time, what effect uh, you've uh, seen it have on the game? Because down here, it's a bit of a talking point, I must say. Yeah, it's, um, it's interesting because I think one of the things that uh, baseball fans have been critical about has been the pace of play because the batters are stepping out of the batter's box and the pitchers are taking a long time to deliver the ball and, and taking time in between pitches. And so this year with the new rules, uh, they put a pitch clock in to where the pitchers have to be ready and throw the baseball uh, within 15 seconds and the batters have to be ready to hit at the eight-second mark. So it basically, as baseball is famous for being a sport without a clock, uh, it's a big change, certainly, for those who've been watching the game for a long time. But it has focused the action and gotten the, the pitchers and the batters to be ready and uh, to keep the game moving. And it certainly has done that. The average time of a baseball game is, is down 31 minutes. They used to take over three hours to play on average last year. It's close to two and a half hours now. So the, uh, the effects have been immediate. And uh, tell us, uh, Steve, have the players bought into this or is it just a matter of having to? I think most have. And the thing is, is that they've been doing this in the minor leagues. They've experimented with some rules changes. So the younger players who come up through the minor leagues 
have adapted to any number of different types of rule changes. And, and the pitch clock was not the only one. They in, implemented several other rules changes this year as well. And the younger players are, are familiar enough with it. I think really the players that are slowest to be able to, uh, to conform and, and be able to get with the program are the older veteran players. And they're the ones that are being called for pitch clock violations, whether they're pitchers or batters in the batter's box. Um, and, and I think once they get used to it and uh, it, it's not going to take too long that it will probably be fairly seamless and you know, they, they might not even uh, you know, give it a second thought now. Steve, so uh, and the way you've been watching it and studying the early stages of the season, has, um, has the fact that uh, things are happening a little bit more quickly, has it in any way, and the stats I suppose would reflect this, reflect, uh, reflected in performance? Yes. Uh, as a matter of fact, um, the other thing too is that they've limited some ability of, of the defenses to shift their players to where the, they keep them even on, you know, even on even sides of, of the diamond. So you can't have more players when a right-handed batter is up, for instance, on the left-hand side, or more players on the right-hand side when a left-handed batter is up. And that's another thing. You know, people were seeing a lack of action that, uh, that these rules, this, in the shift rule in particular, we're seeing more base hits now. And the league-wide batting average is up several points from the, the same period last year. So we're seeing more offense in the game, which fans like. We're seeing it played quicker, which fans like. And, uh, yeah, I, I think the numbers bear that out when you look at the overall batting average, the overall uh, amount of runs scored. Um, it's, it's a much crisper game, at least in my opinion. Right, let's, uh, can we look uh, at uh, the early stages, as I was saying, of the season, but uh, let's um, look at uh, the leagues as such. Um, uh, in the American League East, the Tampa Bay Rays have had a hell of a start. <laughs> Indeed. Uh, they tied a major league record, in fact, by winning their first 11 games of the season, or first 13 games of the season. So that was, that was huge, and this is a team you know, that is, is very... Uh, analytically minded, they 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 are the ones I think that maybe the shift, uh, the ban on the shift um, might hurt them. One would think because it takes away one of their advantages that they had um, because they were very smart about where they positioned their fielders. But this team has just been uh, amazingly good. And uh, the other the other thing about that though um, is that they played three of the worst teams in the league to start the season. So uh, they lost a couple. Uh, their last series, they lost two out of three. But still, they're comfortably in first place right now. And if you're a good team, you have to take advantage of beating the weaker ones. Steve, something you said just there just occurred. Steve, something you said just there just occurred to me. Uh, you said that they might be impacted by uh, these rule changes. So is it a case that the teams and the Billy Bean or Theo Epstein movement, the, these very very smart analytical teams actually started beating the game of baseball now it's incumbent on the league itself MLB and I know that Theo Epstein was an, is involved with the league now have actually got to sort the equilibrium out and get back so that these teams aren't just necessarily making baseball something it wasn't is that kind of how it's played out it's it's interesting because Theo Epstein was in on the leading edge of a lot of these analytics and even he acknowledged that Yes, what we're doing, uh, you know, when I was uh, in the front office, was 
something that will help us win games you know, more often and be a, a more uh, uh, winning franchise, but it also has made the game a little bit less exciting. And so now that he's working with Major League Baseball in that capacity, his focus is not on winning games as a front office executive for a team, but how to make the game better itself. And so I think he's kind of the perfect person to be able to say, okay, this is what we want to limit, um, and then if we can do that, it makes the game better. And so far, uh, as I said, I, I think things have been exceptionally well. Generally, baseball fans don't like change, but, um, but even the fans, I think, uh, almost to, to, to uh, everyone there, it, it seems like they have embraced these changes. Stephen, um, in the AL East, of course, I, I don't think the in terms of uh, leagues there wouldn't be any more baseball caps um, uh, in any other than any other division because uh, the Yankees and the Sox are both the Red Sox are both in there, so they're the caps we see around floating around New Zealand um, on the most regular basis. Yankees start to the season and the Red Sox struggling a wee bit. Yes, uh, the Yankees have been, you know, they had some injuries. Uh, Giancarlo Stanton, you know, one of their, their, their best power hitters, uh, just went on the injured list. They've had a lot of injuries early on in the season, but have still uh, been, been very good in the early going. Garrett Cole, their ace pitcher, is, uh, is 4-0, one of, one of a couple of pitchers who won their first four starts. He looks like the best pitcher in the game right now. So when you have that to build around, and of course, Aaron Judge, who set the home run record last year for the American League mm. with uh, 62 of them, uh, he's been healthy and he's been great. So the Yankees are a formidable team for sure. The Red Sox, on the other hand, have had their problems. And uh, the, the pitching has not been good. Um, they oh, we might we might have uh, lost uh, Steve Gardner, unfortunately. We'll try and Brian. Uh, we'll try and get him back. It was um, one of those um, where, uh, yeah, the Red Sox are, are having trouble. Okay, uh, let's uh, also look at um, one of my uh, favourite div divisions, which is um, the a AL West, where uh, the playing through champions, the Astros, have had a relatively slow start compared to the Texas Rangers. Yes. The, the Rangers have been, uh, have been one of the surprise teams so far this season. Um, they, they made a lot of moves in the offseason, spent a lot of money to get uh, you know, high-priced players, probably one of the best pitchers in all of baseball when he's healthy, uh, and that's Jacob deGrom. Um, he's, been, he's been excellent for them. And so far, it, it is early, obviously. We, ha we just uh, you know, started... He just uh, cut out a wee bit uh, at the moment. Uh, hopefully, we'll get him back. Mm. Steve Gardner coming to us uh, from USA Today. Um, not looking promising at uh, this point, actually. So, uh, Louis, what have uh, what have you made to the start of the season? Well, I think it's quite incredible the fact that they've just been able to turn the sport on its head. To be honest. Um, like it's, it is an amazing thing that they just recognised that the game wasn't what they wanted it to be. So they made a simple rule change, and they've just seen a, a the sport literally have thirty one minutes taken off each game, which was 
a lot of these are baseball games, Smithy, they, they're up so late. Like, and you made the point yesterday, the season goes so long. How can you expect kids and the new age fans to sit there for four hours every night or longer and watch a baseball game when they go past your bedtime? So the fact that they've just taken the ball by the horns and changed their sport for the better, it's quite amazing. And they're changing an institution when you start tampering around with uh, baseball. You're starting to deal with an institution. The great news is Steve is back. Sorry, Steve, about uh, the technology. Um, the Braves, Atlanta Braves um, in the National League East. Um, what are you thinking about their chances this year on, on what they've shown early? I think they're very good chances. Um, they're, they're my pick to win the, uh, the National League and go to the World Series. Uh, I, I love their offense. What they've done in signing a lot of their young player contracts, they've locked in the core of that team, and uh, this group is going to be together for a long time, and they're already very, very good. Um, and then the pitching staff, very solid, um, and it's hard to find a weakness for this team. Um, so you, you have to be impressed with what they've done so far. And, uh, yeah, I think this is one of the best teams in baseball, top to bottom. They've got great depth as well, and they've been there before. So, uh, yeah, I think while the Los Angeles Dodgers get a lot of attention and, and have been very good for very long, I, I really think the Atlanta Braves are the team to beat in the National League. Okay, interesting. Uh, I just um, What's your team, just by the by, Steve? Uh, I grew up a fan of the Baltimore Orioles. I live uh, uh, just outside of Washington, D.C., and grew up uh, around the area. And uh, when I was a kid, the Orioles were the only team in town. There was no Washington Nationals in the, uh, in the nation's capital. So uh, I'm, a, I'm a big Orioles fan from, from way back and have just managed to, uh, to continue to be. And they're kind of on the verge of getting pretty good, too. So that's exciting after a lot of lean years. Right, well baseball's pretty big down here It's massive of course in Japan And uh, one of their big stars uh, Shohei Otani Otherwise known as Showtime Has um, made an interesting move Tell us about just how big he is And what his prospects look like this season oh, He is, is fantastic uh, I, I, Every game I watch him play is a treat Because he does so much Nobody has ever dominated the game of baseball pitching and hitting the way that he has uh, you know there are comparisons to Babe Ruth but you know Babe Ruth was a pitcher first and then trans you know transitioned to a hitter and very there was a very small period of time where he did both Shohei Otani has been one of the best hitters and one of the best pitchers in the game for the last couple of years and playing you know in the major leagues on this on the, the, the big stage He's, he just continues to amaze. And uh, the fact that his team has not been good, they have not made the playoffs with him, and they also have Mike Trout, who uh, I think a lot of people would say for the last decade has been the best player in baseball. Now, that's, you would think that a team that has that kind of talent um, would be able to build around him. They have not yet, and uh, I, I think they've made some moves this offseason that might get them to the playoffs, but uh, they still have a ways to go. But when you have Shohei Otani and the way that he was able to you know, show off his skills in, uh, in the World Baseball Classic, when Japan won the World Baseball Classic, um, and he was there on the mound at the end of the game striking out his teammate with the Angels, Mike Trout, for the final out, um, that, that kind of drama, he has a flair for the dramatic, 
And uh, I, I just can't wait to see him, hopefully, on the playoff stage uh, and maybe, you know, even in the World Series. It'll be great for the ratings, no doubt about that, around the world. Hey, Steve Gardner, thank you so much uh, for your time this morning. Great the, uh, the update on how you think uh, the innovations are going to the game. And uh, when you talk about changing baseball, you're changing an institution as such. So, uh, Steve, thanks for that, and um, all the best for the rest of the season. Cheers. Thank you. Thank you. It was a pleasure to talk to you. Cheers. Uh, Steve Gardner from uh, USA Today, but, um, man, his, uh, his stats are pretty good, aren't they, himself? 18, 18 World Series, a member of the Baseball Writers Association of America, and uh, when you get to vote for a Hall of Fame induction, you've got some serious cred, and that is uh, Steve Gardner out of America for us this morning. 10-18 here on SENZ. If you're feeling a bit flat, that's okay. Come and join Izzy and me each morning from six, and I'm sure you'll find a reason to laugh. Big talk, big opinions, the panel. Jamie Wall and Andrew Gordy with us this morning. And Andrew Gordy, uh, we've been dealing with a bit of a moral issue this morning as uh, well as uh, sport, but... Uh, swimming in the family, where does it rank uh, in terms of swimming lessons uh, for your lads, uh, etc.? Has it been a priority? Morning, listeners. Uh, I can't say it's been an enormous priority. Um, all I can really, like, we did swimming lessons early on, but then I kind of felt like, or we both felt like it got to a point where they weren't really getting an awful lot out of it. It was sort of swimming lessons, you know, once a once a week for about 20 minutes. Um, you pay an awful lot of money for it. Um, honestly, I think the best way to teach kids to swim is to just get them in a pool and um, as in like more of a, a leisure sort of uh, setting, I suppose, rather than lessons necessarily. Um, and that's how, I suppose, not having that sort of hands-on approach with an instructor, um, that's, that certainly helps my oldest boy um, to swim and my youngest boy just loves the water in general. So... They, they love being in the water, but swimming lessons, perhaps a different thing, but they, they, I think if they just spend enough time in the water, supervised, obviously, they, they learn to swim. So, yeah, it's, um, I understand why it's a concern um, for, for people around the country, and especially because we are obviously you know, an island nation. It is, a, it is very important to learn to swim, but all I would say is I think there's more than one way for your child to learn to swim. Okay, right. Jamie Wall with us this morning. Blackfern's contracts uh, announced yesterday, still waiting on uh, Ruby Tui and perhaps a couple of other high-profile ones. Jamie, what did you make of that list? Yeah, good morning, guys. Uh, not too many surprises in that list, I must say. Uh, obviously, Ruby's still waiting out uh, what she's actually going to do with her, with her career from now on. Um, I had a brief word to her at one of the Opiki games and she seemed to think that um, she just needs time for her body to recover and, and I think a lot of people don't remember that she's actually 31 and she's been playing professional rugby or sevens at least for the last 10 years which is actually quite a substantial career for a professional athlete and the toll that it's taken her body especially for an outside back um, she's actually reasonably t- sort of towards the, the end of her career um, oh, she's clearly going to be part of the narrative uh, of this team going forward. She is the most high-profile player, obviously, but um, I wouldn't be surprised if maybe she just takes the rest of the year off. Um, they have brought in Caitlin Bahakolo, 
who was really impressive for the Blues woman um, and was also someone who I had a chat to and uh, she played league um, for the Kiwi Ferns last year and also for the Newcastle Knights in the NRLW and her ambition, uh, she told me, was to be able to just keep doing both for as long as, long as she could. Unfortunately, she's not going to be able to do that now that she's essentially contracted Blacksman. Um, so it's going to be interesting to see sort of where she goes from there because she also said she had her mind on the Blackburn Sevens um, as well. She really wanted to go to the Olympics and that is something that um, New Zealand rugby is going to have to be mindful of, that perhaps for some of these players, uh, the Blackburns, outside of a World Cup year, uh, Blackburns 15 team, isn't actually going to be their, their pinnacle um, achievement of their careers, uh, which is very unlike uh, the way it is in the men's. It's just another example of how men's and women's rugby is quite different. Um, other than that, yeah, like I said, the, the, the team, or the, the contracts are mostly based on, on form. Um, all of the forwards, or tight forwards at least, uh, you put pretty much could have picked before Super Rugby Opiki had even finished. Um, but it is an interesting one as well because, you know, like they, if you look at how many players that the Blackburns used last year, yes, I know it was a World Cup and everything, so it's slightly different, but I could see any number of players coming in and out of this team um, by the end of the year, especially considering that the big uh, test matches they're going to be playing aren't until October, and a lot of things can happen between now and then. Okay, let's uh, look at uh, Super Rugby Gords if we can. I read an article during the week that suggested the Chiefs are capable maybe of having the perfect season, which if that is the case, uh, it's not going to be a good one for the Crusaders fans this time around. <laughs> Don't just pick out the Crusaders fans, Smitty. I mean, I'm sure it'll be uh, you know tough for the Blues and the Hurricanes as well, but yes, I hear what you're saying. Um, and look, to be fair, I, who would have picked that at the start of the season? I, I, don't get me wrong, I'm not for a moment suggesting that uh, everyone had written off the Chiefs, but look, I think if you'd asked me at the start of the season whether I thought the Chiefs would be seven from seven, um, and and quite clearly, I think the standout uh, team in the competition, I, I yeah, you know, I probably would have doubted that. But fair play to them, um, and I think fair play to to Clayton McMillan, who um, you know, and I think it was great to see, obviously, uh, him renew with the Chiefs and recommit his future or at least his, you know, the next few years to New Zealand rugby. I thought that was fantastic. He's obviously working wonders with that franchise, isn't he? Um, and I think also where that's obviously coinciding with a, a return to form to for, you know, perhaps a couple of I don't want to say maligned figures, but you know, there were there was quite sort of rumblings, I suppose, about the the form and, and capabilities, I suppose, of people like Sam Kane and also Damian McKenzie, but those guys have really stood up, and I think we've seen, you know, those sorts of players really taking a strong lead in, in this in this side as well. So, look, can they go an unbeaten season? Um, again, I'd have to say that's a surprise. It would be a surprise because I just think there are one or two other teams in this competition who, on their day, would would certainly. Um, you know, give the Chiefs a good run for their money. But look, who can who can argue with their form so far? They've been absolutely outstanding. Yep, there's no doubt about it. And that included a daytime performance uh, well supported, Jamie and Wellington. Uh, yeah, it was. Um, I'm not still not completely over the moon with the uh, shifting of that of that uh, kickoff time. I mean, obviously, it was out of. Um, anyone's control because because uh, of the lights situation. I mean, I, I wonder the wisdom of um, putting up lights uh, that are obviously 
dependent on the wind um, blowing them around in a place like Wellington, uh, where they should have maybe started doing that quite a while ago um, to avoid this happening. But anyway, uh, it did mean that a lot of people involved in club rugby didn't even get to see that game at all, um, which I think, um, as someone who was actually playing at the same time and therefore didn't get to, get to work on it, um, I'm still a pissed off about that. But anyway, uh, I think just echoing, <laughs> echoing what um, result, result what, had nothing to do with it, eh, Jamie? The result had nothing to do with it. <laughs> uh, I, to be honest, I, I'm not that surprised with with the result. Uh, I, I, I'm unlike Andrew. I'm not that surprised with the Chiefs' uh, form this year, given that they've got basically the same team as they've had not just last year but the year before, and they've also got a coach who's 100% committed to winning a Super Rugby title, which is actually unlike any of the other teams in, in New Zealand at the moment. Um, Scott Robertson, obviously we know all about him, but the Blues and the Hurricanes have both got guys who are kind of like with their looking with their eye out the window about what they're going to do next this year. And I think that's kind of having a bit of an effect on the way that the way that they're going. Um, McMillan has obviously signed on and he's getting the best out of Damien McKenzie which who I think if, you, if the All Blacks are playing a test this weekend he's starting at 10 uh, and he, uh, he he's, one, he's one of the few guys that's actually managed to take a sabbatical and come back playing even better and a lot better uh, than he was, he was before it is ironic though that given, given how solid the Chiefs uh, coaching setup um, is at the moment and, and this is why I think that they're, uh, they're, they're undefeated this season is that they had to learn that lesson the hard way because McMillan ended up in that job more or less kind of by accident because of the Warren Gatlin um, situation so you know there's a little bit of irony there but I think the only thing that's going to stop the Chiefs having an unbeaten season right now is the, um, the, the fact that they have to rest and rotate their All Blacks going forward and there's a couple of little ga- uh, games in there that you know could potentially be uh, little slip-ups um, if they have to sort of put away five guys uh, all at once. So that's, that, in my mind, is the only thing that's going to stop them at the moment. OK, uh, Jamie Wall with his thoughts there. Uh, Andrew Gordy, uh, stick around, uh, gentlemen, if you can, please, uh, for a few more minutes. We'll take a, a short news break with uh, Araha when we come back. Phoenix have got a new coach, and it didn't take long to appoint him. Talk, big opinions, the panel. Talk, talk, talk to me, yeah. Rightio, uh, Andrew Gordy and uh, Jamie Wall are on the panel this morning, sitting alongside me, well, just down in Christchurch anyway, uh, is uh, Louis Herman Watt. And Louis, you got a question for our gentleman this morning? Well, it's a, um, a, a chance to talk to a couple of heavyweight media personalities, Smithy, and you started with <laughs> mora- mor- morality, and I'd like to bring it back to morality BBC has come up with a doozy this morning. Scottish athlete Josiah Zakreski finished third in the GB Ultra, Ultra's Manchester to Liverpool 50-mile race, April 7, but it's thought she's travelled by car for two and a half miles. Two and a half miles, about four kilometres in car. So she was tracked, and they've, they've had to pull her up and say, um, there's, there's an issue here around... Unsporting competitive advantage during a section of the event, yes, she jumped in a car. Fair play, innovation and in sport, pitch clock-esque, or is this not on, uh, Andrew? Uh, look, what I'd say about that, Louis, is um, I think that's really relatable content because the only way you catch me doing uh, a marathon, let alone an ultra-marathon, is if I could do about 90% of it in a car. So <laughs> I, I say that uh, hats off to the person. And look, I mean, you know, should there be a penalty? I don't know. Perhaps, um, 
perhaps we'll leave that up to the listeners. But uh, yeah, look, uh, you've got to have a laugh, don't you? It's, um, it's, it's, it's ambitious to take the least to think that you might get away with that. Hey, Jamie, you, you'll, be, you'll be loving the fact that there's no halfbacks uh, around you. You're the base of the scrum. But great innovation all round. So why not? Cars and ultras. Oh, mate, if you're not cheating, you're not trying, in, in my opinion. Um, and <laughs> if you can, <laughs> it, it, it's funny because I often think about marathons that don't have, or, or long-distance uh, running races that don't have this sort of technology back over history. And I'm like, this cannot be the first time this has happened. <laughs> uh, in fact, I, I'd say this. I'd say this. Well, horse and cart. Like, the first ever Olympics, or just a piggyback, or something like that, or I don't know, or just you know taking a shortcut. Um, I, I feel like this is probably as much of a part of the history of long distance running as as as, as water bottles and and um, and runner, run, running running shoes. So I I have absolutely no issue with this uh, whatsoever. And um, if she if she gets caught and fined, well, you know, at least she gave it a go. Well, that is interesting. Um, another side of you, uh, Jamie, emerging here, uh, which is terrific to find. Uh, Jamie, um, the Phoenix, uh, I've uh, lost to Ufuk Tale, whose um, reign isn't over yet, and uh, of course they've still got playoff uh, opportunities, but they didn't muck around. Uh, they uh, just looked uh, over his left shoulder and found Giancarlo Chifi Italiano to take over straight away. Yeah, and if anyone from New Zealand rugby is listening, um, you know that's how you replace your coach. <laughs> you, you, know, you don't muck around for for a year. Um, one thing I will say about the Phoenix, and I, you know, I, I I keep an eye on them. I'm not like a big um, football um, fanatic or anything, but I'm obviously happy when they win, being a Wellingtonian and everything. Um, but uh, I, I love the fact that they pick these guys with these great names because for um, um, you know when you're writing about stuff, I mean John Carlo, John Carlo Italiano, what a name! I love it. Um, but yeah, I think that they uh, they've got an interesting um, couple of years coming up. Like what the A League is actually going to look like uh, going forward. Um, it's, I, I, I I think that you know if they can make the right signings and and really kind of play a part, they can sort of build a narrative around them, kind of like what the Warriors have going now. Because if you see, as soon as the Warriors get a little bit of success um, going, you know the people show up on mass. And I think that that can that can potentially happen down there at Sky Stadium. Mm, interesting, Gords. Um, I'm not sure how far they spread the net, but it didn't have to be very big. No, and you heard uh, Rob Morrison effectively say they they sort of looked internally first and then decided they didn't need to go any further. Um, I can understand how some people might view that as a bit of a concern, but actually, I, I sort of take the other view and look at it as a sign that the Phoenix have actually got their house in order because that's the ideal situation, isn't it? And especially when you look back over the, the history of the Phoenix, you know, when they've had to look outside, when they've had to look further afield, they've had a couple of disasters with the likes of Dario Kalizic. Um, and if you know that within your system, you've got a guy who, who knows the club, but I suppose also, you know, has good relationships, understands the workings and has been, you know, let, let's um, not forget that Ufuk Tello has been essentially the most successful um, coach in the history of the club. And if they're happy and satisfied with the systems they have in place, the roster they've got, the way they're playing, well then, yeah, it probably does make perfect sense to, to promote from within. Um, I've got to say, the, the, my main concern is around whether... 
Giancarlo is going to be ready to make that step up when you're the boss. You know, everything changes when you're the boss. You're having to have different conversations with players. You're viewed differently by the players. There will inevitably be um, some challenging times ahead for him. I hope that he, he comes, well, uh, you know, comes through that and, and does well. Um, but I can certainly see that he's going to face some challenging times ahead. But I've got to say that one of my highlights of listening uh, on the radio this morning has, has been Aroha's pronunciation of Giancarlo Italiano. It's been uh, very passionate, and um, I've, I've enjoyed it as much as I'm sure all the listeners have. Yeah, yeah, we wish him all the very best in his tenure, which uh, starts next season, of course. Still some work to do as an assistant coach under uh, Ufi Tulay. Uh, gentlemen, thanks very much. Have a terrific Wednesday. Uh, very, very enlightening, and uh, you learn Pack something about everybody every day. Yeah, every day you learn something about someone, Louis. Uh, there's no doubt about it. Thank I you. Knew, I knew Jamie was a Crusaders fan deep down. Yeah, he's not. I mean, I mean, he is just. It's dark. I didn't realise that he was playing club rugby on Saturday afternoon. Uh, that was interesting. Um, uh, and Gord's, well, you just never know with Gord's. Gord's just sort of goes with the flow a wee bit, you know. <laughs> he just goes with the flow a wee bit. Um, Crusader. Crusader. 10.41 here on SNZ. Visit loveracing.nz. Racing's biggest fan. <laughs> 14 from 11, it's SNZ, and uh, it's SNZ mornings, obviously. It's great to be here with you, Smithy, and it's great to talk racing with you every day. Usually I get a call at this time of the morning, but I'm here so we can do it, and we can do it for a little bit longer today because, yes, it's winter approaching fast, but the reality is we've still got plenty of racing to come, and this is when the wet trackers come out. This is when the wet trackers start to show themselves and do their work on their heavy tracks. And this weekend at Pukakoi, we've got the Manco Easter Handicap, the Trelawney Stud Championship Stakes, and the Staphanos at Navarra Park Champagne Stakes for the two-year-olds. So there's good listed and group racing there. And then down at Rickerton Park in my neck of the woods, and Greg O'Connor and me might even go for a wee date and walk the track on Friday after the show. But... um. At Rickerton Park this weekend, the Canterbury Gold Cup, and also a nice little two-year-old race where I understand Ku Cullen's back at the races potentially. Yes, potentially. Um, I think it's track-dependent. Um, uh, Mark Walker has sent a message around the owners to say, look, uh, very encouraged by it. They had a spell in the paddock after its last narrow win. Uh, so it's been, spent its whole time down uh, in the Rickerton area now with uh, the Tiakau bunch. So, uh, hey, look, we're... We're optimistic, but uh, the weight's gone up a wee bit, and um, a track is another big issue. So uh, we're playing it by ear, uh, Louis, at this point. Um, matter, matter today. In fact, the first is around about an hour and ten minutes away. So that's interesting. You've given us a couple to put in the multis. Um, but a nice card. An all right card at Matter, Matter. It's, um, it is, actually. There's a couple of nice horses that should have won races by now going around. Savakat and Hazar, races four and five as we've spoken about. This is also the time of the year, Smithy, when the, the jumpers come back into work. So we start getting those hurdlers and steeple horses. They start getting some um, fitness put into their legs in the high weight races. And there's a nice horse today, race two, in the rating 75 and jumps high weight benchmark. And there is a horse called English Gambler, who last year ran in the nice hurdle races around uh, Tarapa. And... 
kind of acquainted itself pretty well with the jumping lifestyle. So today at $3.60 with Dean Parker for Lauren Brennan. I'm excited to see this horse back at the races, but Leader Ward also won a, a Waikato Cup, uh, a Wellington Cup, I should say. That would need a, a good track. And uh, back to Master is there as well for Mark Walker uh, and Allegri as well. So there is some... Nice staying types that start to turn up as the, the track sour. But can I just alert you to one horse, one filly in particular in race eight that I've mentioned to you before and I'm a bit of a fan of, and she's on a drift this morning, which I'll probably enjoy and reload, I think. There's a filly called Da Vici Bell in race eight. Not a single doubt out of Malika Bell. Make her a little sister to Melody Bell. Bred by Marie Lester, raced by the Kelsos. Barrier one, she's fast. She was good last start. I got no issue with three dollars thirty around Davici Bell. Okay, Davici Bell, one to keep an eye on as well. Uh, there's greyhounds at Palmerston North and Palmerston North Extra today. Uh, we'll chat to uh, Pip Morris hopefully uh, about maybe a, a tip or two there. Plus the other options for sports betting today, which of course includes uh, the NBA. And let's not forget too, uh, Louis, at 11.30 this morning, we've got some pretty exciting news for SENZ listeners and SCN where leather meets willow. That's the cryptic clue. Not that cryptic really, is it? Pretty easy. Actually, it's, it's about cricket. Uh, 10.51 coming up here on SENZ. SCNZ. It's Kiwi for sport. Call any time. 0800 150 811. Your field, summer or winter, he's the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Hey, Mambo, Mambo Italiano, hey, hey, Mambo, Mambo Italiano, go, go, go. You mixed up a Siciliano, all you calabrese do the Mambo like a crazy with it. Hey, Mambo, don't wanna taratala, hey, hey, Mambo. No more mozzarella, hey mambo, mambo italiano, try an angelada with the fish bacala and then hey ha <laughs> So, can you imagine the yellow fever with their shirts off singing that when uh, the Phoenix go up 2-0 uh, over the Central Coast Mariners up next year? Can you, Louis? <laughs> well, is Usain Bolt still playing for the Central Coast? <laughs> I don't think so. Um, I don't. That was a good trial, that wasn't it? That worked out well. <laughs> put put that down in the folder of sports sentences that should never exist. Is you saying Bolt? But like Michael Jordan and baseball. Oh wow! I was loving the conspiracy theories on um, while I wasn't in a swimming pool and while I was on TikTok the other day about why he had to leave the NBA and. All his gambling debts and the forced leave. Gee, there's, there's many conspiracy theory about Michael Jordan and his time playing baseball, isn't there? There is. Uh, there is indeed. Look, we're, normally we'd be talking to Pip at this stage, but she's probably actually uh, getting involved um, in some trackside activities today. And sometimes she does call the Greyhounds at Palmerston North, and there are Palmerston North and Palmerston North extra Greyhounds today. So uh, we'll keep an eye out for Pip in that regard. But there's, uh, there's a little bit on. There's a little bit on to have a punt on. There certainly is. I don't know if you can bet on this. You probably can't because it's age grade. But the uh, what are we calling them? Our, our tw- under twenty three's black socks, the um, major socks, some, something along major those socks, lines. Yep. yep. Uh, they lost five three. So first loss to the campaign to the Canadians. <sighs> a they managed to sting us. We're going to catch up with the head coach after eight. 
So that's what's going on. Lots of softball and baseball on this show today, Smithy. But there's also basketball. And I've loved the NBA playoffs starting. Um, I've really enjoyed them so far. Today we've got the Celtics... Hawks, Celtics $1.17 versus the Atlanta Hawks. It just seemed like a nightmare matchup for the Hawks. They just can't really play Trey Young because he can't guard anyone and he's their most p- highest paid player. So that never really works, does it? The Cleveland Cavaliers, your tip for our multi, $1.40 versus the Knicks at two eighty seven, And the Suns, wow, the bookies have got the faith in the Suns. They are eight-point favourites over the Clippers. And the Clippers, to be honest, just beat them fair and square without Paul George in Game 1. I'd be all over the plus eight-point start for the Clippers because I think even if the Suns do win, which they probably will, it should be close, Smithy. Yeah, I I think the Suns will win. I I really do. I think it's a good bet, to be perfectly honest. Um, Yeah, I'm I'm looking... uh, I'm loving the baseball. I couldn't work out uh, the basketball. I couldn't work out why yesterday. It'll be a contractual thing, but... I was just so looking forward to the Golden State Warriors playing, and all of a sudden, game of baseball came up, and there was no a second round playoff um, NBA game. So today, I'm hoping that uh, there'll be plenty on to watch, including uh, those races out of matter matter very shortly. Yeah, uh, I'm looking forward to talking a bit of softball. I, I, I love softball. I always have. It's brought up on, uh, even though I play cricket on Saturday mornings, I, I was a bat boy for Broadway and Wellington on Saturday afternoons. So. Um, and I loved, I loved uh, softball. I loved it as a sport. I used to practice down, just down the road from my home and used to go and just chase base foul balls forever. I just loved it uh, when they had practice. So I've always loved it, and I'm glad to know that uh, the future is good in the hands of our major Sox under-23 team. As you say, uh, tipped up this morning by Canada, but still in the running in the world champs in Argentina, and that's exactly where we're heading after the break here and the news with Aroha. 1476am in Auckland. This is SENZ. It's Kiwi for Sport. And are experts in agriculture, covering your equipment, parts and service needs to help you succeed in your field. From behind the stumps to behind the mic, nothing gets past Smithy. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Well, I always look forward to talking uh, about softball. Um, had a bit of an affiliation uh, as a kid growing up, so uh, I've always followed it uh, through its pathway, and there's an exciting pathway in progress as we speak right now. It is the inaugural World Under-23 Softball Tournament, and it is being held in Argentina in a place called Parana. It is uh, part of the uh, Entre Rios province, uh, and our team is there and uh, doing pretty damn well as, uh, as we speak too. I uh, had a game this morning, which we'll find out uh, more about very shortly. Uh, Going to chat with uh, their head coach, the Major Sox head coach, Steve Deans. Uh, thanks, Steve, for finding a bit of time for us. Smithy, no problem, man, no problem. Just actually got off the diamond, so happy to talk to you. Okay, right. Uh, first of all, let's tell us about the, the trip to get there. What, 29 hours in the air... And a seven-hour bus trip, and you finally, you finally, finally got to your hotel. Yeah, yeah. We thought we'd harden the boys up a little bit, and we lost some luggage along the way as well. So they just popped us off. Yeah, so interesting trip, but they're a pretty excited bunch of guys. So they just rolled with the punches, and we got there, and we actually played on the day we arrived as well. So um, boys acquired themselves really well. Yeah, I've been reading about the build-up. So you had uh, a reasonably good build-up, but now you've hit hit uh, the serious stuff. First three games went uh, pretty well, do you? Yeah, yeah, we've had we've had four now, and and uh, we played uh, 
we played Canada today. We're really rivals, a bit like Australia, New Zealand. In the, on the softball diamond, Canada, New Zealand are great rivals, and yeah, they 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 took it to us today and um, come out on top. But really good game of softball. We had our moments, and we just didn't execute in key parts. And you know, we live to play another day. We've got Japan tomorrow, so. That's a really good wake-up call. The tournament's not won on uh, on the Tuesday. We're looking forward to building up, and um, it's a good tester for us tomorrow. Steve, can you tell us about the format, format uh, the grouping situations, the number of teams taking part? Yeah, so I, I believe that this, what is it? Uh, we've had, uh, we have five games each side. Um no, six games, sorry. And the top three go through to the to the championship round and the bottom three go into the plate section. Um, but of course, you're working towards playing on the on the last day of the tournament, which is the championship round. Um, at the moment, we're in a good position. Uh, we've beat Venezuela. We've lost to Canada and we've got to play Japan tomorrow. Um, Venezuela put a cat amongst some pigeons. They beat Canada 2-0. Um, but we put ourselves in a good position by um, getting over Venezuela by 9-2. So whilst we don't want to rely on who beat who, um, Canada's a big, uh, Japan's a big game tomorrow. So the format then to Smitty is that you, you take your points through, all the top teams that play take their points through to the, to the championship round. So if you go through with two wins, it puts you in a really good position. So if we beat Canada, uh, Japan tomorrow, uh, Venezuela will qualify also, and that'll drop Japan, uh, Canada out. So, yeah, it's it's an interesting concept, but uh, one that's fair. You've got to win your games of softball. On the flip side, Argentina, the home side, lost their very first two games, and so that puts them in an awkward position. So, but they're on the other side of the draw, and I guess they can worry about that for themselves. Steve, before we get on to the makeup of your squad and how hard it was or how easy it was to put it together and how you actually funded it to get there, just tell us about the level of interest uh, in Piranha. Oh, hey, it's a heart, it's a heartbeat of Argentine softball, and as we all know, they're a force in the in, in the world in world game today. Their players, their senior players, play all around the world, and, and I think that's a point of difference at their game like, is when they finish playing here in their competition. Uh, they're off to Europe and then they play in the uh, North American tour as well. So their players are playing not all nine months of the year. Our guys tend to have, uh, have just play in our off season. There's only probably a handful of our top players that go to North America. So and I believe that once we, we address that and get our, our up and comers, i.e. my squad, to, to the North American tour and uh, which some of them are going to this year and off to Europe as well, then they can start. Um, competing at the high level consistently seeing that level of ball that's one thing we really noticed when we got here when we got amongst and we had a good build up with um, Australia Argentina and Czech that uh, it, it was a, a really distinct difference in particularly the pitching Right okay um, Steve uh, let's talk about how you're able to put your squad together um, the administration side of it, the funding side of it. Just how tough of an exercise has it been? Oh, hey, I mean, it's all self-funded. The boys pay their money their way. I mean, this trip's cost... They fundraise, and it really means a lot to them to represent their country. So uh, the boys are all over. We've got uh, 10 Aucklanders, um, three Wellingtonians... Um,
weren't available for our campaign because of their campaign in November, so it overlapped. So it was good, though. These boys used us as a stepping stone for their future, and hopefully they aspire to higher honours as well. Well, you've managed to rack up some uh, some decent runs. Uh, I mean, uh, the lowest score you've posted is five, so the bats are going quite well. What about the defensive side of things? Yeah, I mean, we've got three three very capable pitchers, and, and you know, um, today Canada put it, put us under pressure, um, as as you would expect with the level of hitting they have. So. Left-handed pitcher is only 19 years old, so he has a big future in the game as well. Tane Slaughter comes from the Rambers Club, and they won a club nationals um, with Daniel Chapman, and Floyd Noah is also with that club, so very capable. And I look forward to seeing them develop their skills, particularly once they get amongst the the overseas competition more regularly. Steve, uh, what are you saying uh, about the Japan side um, and uh, what threat they possess for you? Oh, I- yeah, they're a, they're a junior version of their senior side. They hit well, they run well, they're defensively sound. Um, you, you have to play well to, 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 to beat them. And, you know, that, that's the strategy. Um, our boys are, are built similar. To, I've picked a side that is athletic and, and has speed, so we like to bunt, run, contact. Uh, we place teams under pressure, as we did like Venezuela. And, um, you know, we... we uh, it's high energy. Um, sometimes it could be high risk when you when you're stealing guys and um, their defence and the catchers have got strong arms. But you know, he just look at all opportunities to score runs and place the team under pressure. Hey Steve, uh, this could be a layman's question. I'm not too sure, but we just spoke about <laughs> show. We show, spoke about Shohei Otani earlier in the show, and our American friend, another Steve actually from the state, said that there's just nothing they've ever seen. He's nothing they've ever seen before. Not even Babe Ruth stacks up. Are there softballers coming through, or do they exist that both pitch and bat at the absolute pinnacle level? Oh, hey, they're a rarity. There's no doubt, you know. And I come from an age where. Pitchers generally just do one job; they don't hit. It's an exception. I mean, New Zealand have been lucky. We, we've had the likes of a Jared Martin, for example, that pitched could hit. Um, you know, he, he was he was an outstanding individual, but they are an exception. And you know, generally, generally as the gravitate up into the game, pitchers tend to uh, and the coaches tend to put them aside and, and let them just worry about one job. Um, but yeah, I I don't see a lot of that. And last night, the Argentinian pitchers. What, 19 strikeouts. Um, so have them expect them to come out and and hit the ball as well is, pro- is probably is probably um, is probably hard. I mean, he hits a bit too, but yeah, they, they rely on them to pitch, do one job, and they let the other nine guys hit the ball. Is generally the case. So, uh, Steve, personally, uh, I've never been to uh, Argentina. Don't we don't play a lot of cricket over there. But what I will say is, I've heard really good stories, uh, really good stories about big fat yeah. steaks. Is that, is that what you're feeding your lads up on? And stories in the first three nights, we, we made pigs of ourselves, and you know we're coming towards the end of it, running halfway through our tour. <laughs> we're looking for a good ch- chicken now. So, yeah, that's true. That's bang on. Thing on, 
<laughs> Steve, it's been ter- uh, terrific uh, catching up with you. Just get a, l- a little bit of an insight. We're going to keep contact with you because uh, the business end of the tournament hasn't even started yet. All the best against Japan. Uh, we know you'll yep. bounce back after that, yep. that hiccup the, this morning. So all the very best, man, and uh, yep. we'll catch up again. Thanks for your time. Thanks, buddy. Appreciate it. It's yes, uh, Steve Deans there. He is the uh, head coach for the Major Sox. They are our national under-23 uh, softball team. Louie, you hear stories about that. And uh, it just shows you the disparity uh, in sport around uh, this country. I mean, you know, we've had a proud history in softball, a really proud history in softball. Um, you know, over the years, we've been world champions. So we've always been to the forefront in the sport. Um, and uh, I can't imagine, well, I could be completely and utterly wrong here, um, the New Zealand uh, under-23 rugby team having to fund themselves to go to a World Cup. Yeah, well, you'd assume that New Zealand rugby would be working pretty hard to make sure that isn't the case. I, I highly doubt that. Actually, funnily enough, with rugby, that was a bit of a, a lost um, pathway during COVID, those international tournaments, which they've now got back up and running. And it's also a development place for coaches. But on the softball side of things, Smithy, it is disappointing, but it shows you how much they love their sport. I know Aroha's a, a massive softball fan, a very good player in her own right. And I think this is so important because of the way that the World Cup panned out for the men, the seniors back here uh, was that last year? It was last year, wasn't it? it definitely, mm. the balloon popped a little bit and the rest of the world caught us up in our own backyard, which was not a nice feeling for softball New Zealand. So the fact that we've got under-23s gentlemen that are coming through and it can be the next generation, I think this is the most important time for them to bounce back, isn't it? Yeah, I think it is, actually. This is a great statement uh, for these uh, youngsters to make and I, I, hesitate to, uh, I don't hesitate to say youngsters. Uh, what an experience for them, though. Uh, I would have doubt any of them have ever been anywhere near Piranha in Argentina before uh, so what a great life experience as well and they're getting everything out of it uh, okay so uh, that softball will continue to keep you uh, updated now uh, throughout the rest of this uh, world series or world tournament um, we're going to take a short break here it's uh, coming up to 11.15 here on SCNZ got uh, two or three texts uh, to talk about um, and uh, also of course we've got a, a stumped a stump Louie coming up uh, around about uh, 11.30 this morning. There's a handy up, a handy up for grabs there. Uh, we've also got a major announcement uh, regarding some uh, some uh, coverage, shall we say, for SEN and SENZ. It's embargo to 11.30. Uh, Andy Thompson, of course, the Rural Roundup uh, preview uh, just prior to uh, 11.45. And prior to midday, we'll catch up uh, with uh, Sammy Hewitt, of course, who's sitting in for staff uh, with What's His uh, Afternoon Show. Uh, Taken, I believe, there's also uh, a running it straight being Wednesdays at uh, 3 o'clock in terms of rugby league. 11.15 right here, right now. SENZ, it's Kiwi for sport. Call anytime, 0800 150 811. The SENZ app. Download it today and never miss a moment of your favourite show. Streaming live anywhere, anytime. Brand are experts in agriculture, covering your equipment, parts and service needs to help you succeed Well, it's 11.20 and you know know how you spring things on people. Well, we're springing this on you. It's now time for Stump Louie. Stump Louie is on now. 0800 150 811. 0800 150 811. He's one from one. 
He's uh, doubled the bonus pot. He's looking to make it 150. Can you challenge him? 0800 150 811. Uh, Brian's uh, waiting for your calls. In the meantime, while we set that up, uh, Louis, I think it's uh, of interest to note uh, two texts have come in this morning. Um, hi, guys. Brad Thorne, the new Crusaders coach. That's from Carl. Um, and the other one is uh, of interest too. Steele says... Morning, guys. Your thoughts on Brad Thorne being the next Crusaders coach? Well, we heard this morning from Araha. He's out of the Reds. He is. He's Gonski. He is seriously Gonski from the Reds. And you could kind of see the writing on the wall when he said in a post-game presser recently, Smithy, he thought that he probably got the team as far as he could. So this was just a matter of time. Um, it's very interesting. Brad Thorne, the, the, I mean, I we'll get your take on it, Smithy. Personally, I don't know how you would ever know how good of a coach Brad Thorne is from coaching the Reds. It seems impossible to get a line, and I felt the same about the Daryl Gibson types. These guys that go to Australia and, and put up with a, a dwindling Super Rugby team, how do you even know what sort of coach they are? And especially for Brad Thorne, who was a development coach with the Reds and kind of came through in that system, it's so hard to know actually if this is him or if it's the situation. Yeah, I think that's a very good point. Um, traditionally uh, down there I, I would expect you'll keep your finger on the pulse so Robert Van Royen will know all about this uh, the developments going on down there here's the big uh, Crusaders Juno as such but uh, there's another one you just threw in because one of the things that the Crusaders like is Crusader history proud mm -hmm. Crusader history uh, Brad Thorne Daryl Gibson mm, interesting very, very interesting. Uh, you're throwing another one up. Right, well, let's uh, play the jingle and let's get stuck into it. It's Stump Louie today. I'm out of this. Ian Smith's had a good match here. Stumped by Smithy. Ian Smith really is top class at his job. No, isn't he? He is, but he's uh, stepping aside today. And uh, Louie, just quickly, what sort of gloves would you have worn if you were a keeper? Brand? Are yeah. you asking for a brand drop? Yeah, UG, um, Grey gray Nichols? Well, Smithy, you have to educate me. I, look, I actually was a Slazenger Michael Clark back growing up. Did they do keeping gloves, the Slazengers? Yeah, I think Adam Perori was Slazenger, so there you go. Yes. Um, Adam Perori had Slazenger <laughs> gloves. So there um, you go. If, that, if that's the way you want to swing, then you go with Slazenger. Because uh, there's a bit, see how the play on that I did? The swing? Slazenger golf club sling? Oh, no, okay. Right, get out of it, Ian. <laughs> Shut up, move on. No, that was actually really good, mate. You just uh, went over our heads, I think. He's lost He's lost the plot, Brian. Let's admit it. Yeah, yes, no. So um, <laughs> it is stump time. We all know how it works. Uh, first of the crease today is a man that uh, Smithy has fun stumping, so we'll see how Louis goes with it. Carrie from the Manawatu, come in, mate. Yeah, hey guys, morning. Good morning, how are you doing down there? Yeah, very well, thank you. Perfect, you ready to take on Louis in the quiz today? We'll see how I get on with Louis, eh? Yeah, awesome, awesome. So you get three categories to choose from, uh, Carrie. The first being golf, second baseball, and third today is cricket. Which one would you like? Um, we'll go golf. Smithy specialty here. Uh oh. We're going to see how Lou, Lou goes with the golf, eh? All right. The most prestigious tournament in golf, the Masters, was won by the PGA's John Ram, saving the world from a possible live golf flash mob on the final hole by beating both Phil and Brooks, who finished tied second. 
in that Masters tournament, who was the next best finishing live golfer? Um, yeah, no, I'll, I'll go Sheffer. Uh, Can you repeat that, please? Is it Sheffer? One of the worst things I have ever seen done on a cricket Oh, field. it's a nick and through to the keeper. Well, they say that he's a, a bit of a you know, Night King, Darth Vader type villain. But today, he is the hero of my story. Patrick Reed, will you please stand up? Just a couple of chips down the wicket, right in the slot. And, and away it goes. goes back to the pavilion in the Manawatu. Thanks for playing, mate. Uh, up next, we have Rick from the Nucky. Come in, Rick. G'day, how you doing, boys? Yeah, yeah, we're good here, mate. How's your uh, golfing knowledge? This is another track work rider for Alan Sharrett. <laughs> <laughs> I wish. <laughs> uh, uh, golf, golf. I don't know. Let's well, go. Well, let's go then. What year did uh, Michael Campbell make the cut in the Masters? Ooh. Um. Um. One of the worst things I have ever seen done on a cricket field. And it's gone through to the keeper. I, that's a, look, I think Phil Tatarangi was 2003. And it would be a similar era. I don't think it was the same tournament. I'll, I'll go 2004. One of the worst things I have ever seen Ooh. done on a cricket field. No, just quietly, Smithy. Do you know the answer? No, I don't know the answer. I know um, it was that golden period for Michael Campbell, of course, but uh, I thought it might have been a bit earlier than that. Well, I can tell you all, I just bowled a googly because the answer is never. He has never made oh, the cut. Oh, see, I didn't think oh. so either, but you can, Brian, that's... Rick, Rick, I'm sorry, you're going to have to go back to track work riding for a job, and that's not your fault. I've got to keep you on your toes, gentlemen. No, Rick gets another go because yeah, uh, there's you one more question. Rick's still so in. Yeah, no, yeah, Rick's still in. Follow the rules. These are Smithy's oh, rules, not Louis's rules. You're just playing, oh, yeah. right? <laughs> there we go. Okay, mate. So the final question for all the chocolates here. Oh, wrong one. There we go. Kiwi Ryan Fox did it himself, his family, and the nation proud, finishing tied 26th with. Two other golfers. Can you name one of those who finished with Foxy tied at 26 at the Masters? Um, tied with Foxy. Tied for 26. With, with our Foxy. Um, I would say... But... Uh, Jason Day. One of the worst things nope. I have ever seen done on a cricket field. And Richie isn't impressed through to the keeper. <sighs> oh, I don't know. Oh, that's a that's a very tough question. I, I just I'm trying to. I don't have photographic memory, so I know Cam Smith was very close. I think he was about 31. I'm gonna say Sung J M. One of the worst things I have ever seen done on a cricket field. No, unfortunately, that's incorrect. Uh, Smithy, do you know one of the two who finished with Foxy? Maybe Harris English, no? 
No, no. Scott Stallings and uh, Netflix famous Tony Tony Finau. Oh, oh, Tony Finau. Oh, Tony, 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 Gee, Tony. You're tough, well, Brian. That's that's good news for Rick, though. That's really good news for Rick because because of Louis' stupidity, Rick, you win money. <laughs> that's amazing, isn't it? Is oh, that how it works? Oh, come that's on. That's how it works. That's how it works. <laughs> you got to. I mean. He didn't get one question run against the money. I told you that is the way this quiz works. It's a good guy quiz. It's a good guy quiz. So there you go. Uh, Rick from the Naki, stay on the line. And Brian from Hawke's Bay will get your details. And um, congratulations. A hundred bucks to spend on whatever you like. And uh, let's hope you can turn it into maybe a grand piano. Uh, Rick, have a terrific day. Thank you very much. Thanks, Louis. Thank you, Rick. Yeah, just make sure you send some of that Taranaki mail back up the, the line. Oh, Smithy, that's an absolute rot of a quiz. Oh. <laughs> you missed the stumping. You had the chance. You had the chance to glove it and whip the bales off, but you missed. So the batsman survives. That's the way it goes. I'm actually, I'm actually not too happy with Brian about that first question because... It's a bit mean spirit. It's a bit Australian like, isn't it? I didn't think he had. You could have said, I don't think he's ever made the cut. It's quite a simple sentence, uh, but I you just... didn't seem to want to say that, so there you go. I never would have thought Brian, of all people, would do do us like that. <laughs> oh, it's Brian. It's Brian Rarity from Hawks Bay. Don't you worry about like, those Rarity boys. are quite capable of that shifty stuff. Uh, look, it's uh, coming up to a... <laughs> Coming to up to eleven thirty, we promised you an announcement that's coming straight after the news here uh, with Aroha. Okay, so uh, listen out for that. All right, uh, that is our uh, breaking news theme, and um, Louis Herman Watt has um, got some news for us. We've uh, teased you all morning teased you all morning and uh, we can finally say what, exactly what's going on and pretty exciting for cricket fans Louis it's, it's very exciting for cricket fans it's very exciting for New Zealand sports fans because although it doesn't necessarily involve us I have first hand experience of how much this uh, series means to us and Smithy I'm sure and certain you do too SCNZ and SCN Sports Entertainment Network across the ditch can announce that we have the exclusive commercial radio rights to this year's Ashes Test Series. So, across all of our SEN and SENZ stations, through our app, on all our frequencies up and down Aotearoa, you will hear throughout the evenings, uh, in a very large part of winter, to keep you up to date and informed, the broadcast of the Ashes with, of course, our very own Brendan McCullum helming the coaching staff of... England and, well, Ben Stokes is half our own Smithy. This is massive news. Now, in addition to this, we've also got the World Test Championship final as well between Australia and India. So this is going to make winter a very exciting few months for cricket and sports fans. You must be thrilled. I am, actually. Um, you know, uh, people have been saying uh, more cricket, more live coverage on uh, SEN and SENZ and uh, this will be massive uh, in Australia and uh, it should be here as well because cricket lovers are cricket lovers around the world. Uh, the Ashes is the most significant trophy in Test cricket. It always has been and long may it continue. Uh, there's a lot of talk around about uh, Test cricket dying off and only certain countries uh, being permitted to play it. 
uh, as few as five and at this stage we're in that group and uh, let's hope that stays as well but uh, the fact of the matter cricket relies on an exciting Ashes series it does every time it comes around uh, so yes you're right Baz is uh, in charge of England Andrew McDonald is in charge of uh, Australia uh, I'm pretty sure Daniel Vittori will have some involvement there particularly when it comes to the spin bowling sides of things and I, I just thought um, you know that is uh, terrific news and then of course uh, prior to that is the World Test Championship now the World Test Championship is being played at the Oval so it's a neutral ground for both Australia and India this is the World Championship of course that we won we are the holders of uh, the symbolic nature of this is uh, very big in terms of the future of Test Cricket um, if India win that then Test Cricket will survive for a long period of time because the India are very powerful brokers when it comes to cricket um, they put a lot of money into it. They have a lot of say in what the direction cricket, international cricket heads in. If India are the World Test champions, I don't see for uh, one moment in time that in the next few years Test cricket is going to go anywhere but where it is right now because they won't let it. It's as simple as that and that is a great thing. And I'm saying that not because I'm guarded about it. I'm saying that is a terrific thing. The best result for Test cricket would be India beating Australia. That'll include well, its pro- increase its profile or, or stabilise its profile, should I say. Well, Smithy, with the intimate knowledge of the form of these teams, who would you enlist as a favourite for a World Test Championship final at Lords between Australia and India? Well, it's actually at the Oval, which is um, the Oval. about 5k away, just across the Thames, not too far at all. Uh, traditionally, uh, the Oval makes very good cricket pitches, which in- incorporate all aspects of the game, Louis. Uh, they've got a terrific uh, ground staff there. Uh, they've got a magnificent block. Uh, if you look at the block at the Oval, and when they talk about the block, it's the number of pitches you can fit uh, in one particular space. There's about 20. There's about 20. Uh, wow. It's huge. It's very, very wide. Um, and so uh, they can uh, produce a cricket pitch. Generally speaking, it's at the centre of the block, which means uh, they can set the television cameras up nice and straight down the ground. The members get their beautiful view straight down the ground, etc. And, and the boundaries are pretty even on either side. Now, normally speaking, that would be the case. Um, and uh, there's always a lot of talk about um, home nations having a say and telling the ground staff how to influence pitches. This won't happen. This will not happen. Um, this will be made by an England curator. Uh, he'll make a cricket pitch that's just suitable for all aspects of the game. Now, that is cool because um, both of those two sides have terrific fast bowling attacks. They really do. Uh, they both have terrific spin bowlers. Uh, you've got Ashwin. You've got Jadeja for India. Uh, up against the, the GOAT, they call him, Nathan Lyon from Australia. Uh, best finger spinner uh, in the world, some say. Um, there's also young, is it Todd Murphy, the new guy that's just come into the side. Uh, who uh, spun a, uh, quite a good yarn, actually, uh, in uh, India just <laughs> recently. So, you know you know what I'm saying, though? And then, of course, you, you match that up um, with uh, two uh, very aggressive uh, left-handed wicketkeeper batsmen and uh, Richard Punt, uh, Alex Carey, and then we know um, the strength of both Australian batting and Indian batting. I mean, it is, it is quite simply... Uh, a sh- a sh- uh, show off, show off, showdown between the two best, best equipped cricketing nations in the world to handle all conditions. Can't wait, can't wait, and they'll be able to listen to it ball by ball. Brilliant.
Gee whiz, you've got me fired up. One last question for me then, Smithy, as we talk Ashes, which this is going to be the perfect precursor in Australia. What a blowout to go into the Ashes series if, as long as they don't um, you know, run out of their gallop towards the end of the Ashes. I'm just looking at the old series winner. Obviously, England's going to be favourite with their form and the home conditions. But Australia sit at $2.50 versus England's $1.87. A draw is $7. We know weather will play a part at some stage. Who would you have as favourite? Well, I, I don't see it being a drawn series because I don't think either country want it to be a drawn series. And we know full well that uh, our very own Baz, uh, that is, uh, his doctrine is a draw is off the table. OK, so if weather becomes a factor, you can't do much about that, admittedly. What I will say is that uh, England will want to play the way they played. Their recipe is fantastic. Let's go at Australia. They'll go at them at uh, a pretty rapid rate of knots. This will be the biggest test for Baz Ball because this is the best bowling lineup Baz Ball's had to encounter, for me anyway. So that series, over a long period of time, there'll be great cricket pitches. England never produced minefields. Uh, they'll be great, even cricket pitches, Louis. Uh, if I was having my money on, um, I'd, I'd back Brendan uh, because he's just on a hell of a roll. But I will say this, it'll be as t- the toughest I've ever had uh, for the likes of uh, these players to come out and uh, score at five, six and over in the first session against Australia. If that happens in the first test, uh, man, <laughs> I'm jealous that I'm not going to be there. But I will be able to listen. I'll be able to listen to the great commentators coming in from around the world and uh, we'll be able to listen to it here on SENZ Ball by Ball. How exciting is that? And how exciting is it also for the opportunity to talk to Andrew Thompson because Rural Roundup is coming up at midday uh, and that's for all frequencies uh, around the country apart from Auckland and Wellington. Uh, He's got the rural bases all covered with Andy very shortly. SCNZ, it's Kiwi for Sport. Keep up to date on Twitter and Instagram at SCNZ underscore radio. Brand are experts in agriculture, covering your equipment, parts and service needs to help you succeed in your field. Summer or winter, he's the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SCNZ. Well, it's 11.45, which is appointment time for us, uh, and uh, our appointment was uh, with Andy Thompson because at midday he has an appointment with uh, rural listeners to uh, SENZ uh, all around the country. Andy, good morning to you. I'm looking at uh, headlines in terms of uh, rural uh, aspects, and uh, one of the main ones uh, I'm looking at is uh, Mr Luxon wants to focus on India trade deal, so what's getting in the way? I would imagine any sort of deal with India would be pretty attractive, wouldn't it? Smithy, g'day mate. Yes, a trade deal with India would be very, very attractive. Unfortunately, um, the biggest part of our economy, agriculture, and particularly dairy, they don't want a bar of it. So um, uh, no one's really prepared to go in there and make a deal with them, which excludes um, the you know 50% of our economy. So um, it's, it's a real, real problem. Interestingly, um, the Indian organisation in New Zealand, I can't remember what it's called, but um, they're saying we're not trying hard enough. We need to get out there and hustle more with the Indians. But uh, I know Damien O'Connor went over there and came back with his tail between his legs. I think um, uh, Mahuta, Nanaya Mahuta has been talking trade as well um, and really struggling to get some traction. But uh, Luxon said that he's going to get out there and um, give it a real crack. So if that's the case, it would be a big deal. But um, it, the interesting thing is, Smithy, the Aussies have got one. So um, I'm not quite sure what hands in surrender. 
Well, from my way of thinking, and I just uh, read an article the other day where India was about to become the most populous country in the world. Uh, getting in there, I would have thought there's a lot of mouths to feed, so to speak, uh, Andy. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I guess it also comes back to um, what products we would put in there as well and what what prices would be. I mean, you know, you hear this a lot that we feed 40 million people in the world or people say we feed the world. We don't. We only feed 40 million. The point is we actually want to feed the richest 40 million. So we've got to be really careful about where we put our products and we want to make sure, yes, we want to take some of eggs out of the China basket. And that's something that people are, you know, that we're really trying to do to make sure we're not solely reliant on that one um, one country uh, and India would but uh, yeah we do need to make sure that we are selling um, at the highest possible price to get the best returns we come back for the New Zealand because as I said we only feed 40 million that's actually not a lot of people someone said to me yesterday there's 24 million people in in Cairo alone so you know relatively speaking we've got to be really careful where we sell our products yeah, absolutely uh, those export markets as you say Andy right uh, what else is uh, going to feature on your show today well, pretty big news today, actually, um, Smithy National. You know, remember the National Party? They have um, remember them, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, they finally uh, released some agricultural policy, and they're going to uh, make some sweeping changes to uh, farm regulations, which they reckon will improve access to workers, restore local decision making, and protect food production. Uh, they got 19 point plan on this one. So we're going to talk to Todd McClay. Uh, he is the uh, he's a National Party ag spokesman. Uh, sort of things like um, they want to introduce a two for one rule uh, for every new regulation that central government brings in. They want to um, get rid of one. Oh, sorry. For every one regulation, uh, they want to get rid of two. Uh, they also want to uh, double the RSE workers from 19,000 to 38, uh, ban foreign direct investment for the purpose of getting farms to forestry to collect carbon credits. So, And they also want to restart the um, live exports of cattle. So we're going to talk to them about that. And then um, our good friends from Groundswell, well, they want um, they want to ban all legislation because they want to bring down the cost of food. They reckon government regulation is what. And I heard you talking about this yesterday to to Araha. They reckon that it is the uh, government regulation that is actually putting up the price of food. I'm not so sure about that. I'm going to ask him to uh, let me know. Um, uh, tell me tell me a food price or a piece of food or something from food that is actually being uh, cost is increasing because of regulation. Cameron Bagri is an independent economist. Going to talk to him about that. And then um, I don't know if you've ever been to this, but uh, this end of this weekend, Smithy, the New Zealand pl- ploughing champs are being held in Milton. I'm going to talk to Nigel Woodhead, who's uh, one of the organisers for that. So, uh, yeah, should be fun. Oh, and um, uh, over uh, our Overseer FM Rural Hero of the Week. So that's what's coming up this week. Okay, Andy, sounds good. And just by the by, yes, uh, when I was a youngster, my father worked for Atlantic Union Oil Company. So I used to go to the Atlantic Silver Plough. Amazing Excellent. event. Well, we should get you down there. You oh, should come down. That would, that that would be back. cool. That would, that would take you back. To, have you ever done it? No, I've seen it. Though. It used to amaze me how they could do it so uh, beautifully, so so beautifully crafted uh, with this mm. massive machinery. It was just so intriguing. So, yeah, very, Genuine very cool to have it still going. Yeah. Hey, the other thing, yes, it's still going and it's getting stronger. The other thing, and they've got five teams of horses down there as well, um, ploughing. So they've still got that art form, which is worth going to see alone. Andy Thompson, worth listening to your show too. Uh, coming up, uh, folks, in around 10 minutes. That'll give Andy enough time to just uh, get everything uh, finally 
uh, set up for that. Of course, uh, if you want to, uh, if you're living in Wellington or you're living in Auckland and uh, you uh, stay listening, of course, you'll be listening to Sam Hewitt this afternoon, who's in for staff this whole week. Uh, Sam will be with us very shortly to tell us uh, what's on his show.